0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Hold
2: your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring.
3: Turn it off.
2: This is Jack Nicholson. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that I'm not in, that I have nothing to do with. I'd like to uh, tell the people about a movie called Out of the Blue, directed by Dennis Hopper. It speaks honestly from the heart of a 15-year-old girl. It's uh, milieu. is the punk scene. For a young person who sees this film, I absolutely know. It may knock them back. But they're going to know it's about a real reality that haven't really been exposed on film before. Dennis hadn't made another movie, this would do in the 80s exactly what Easy Rider did to kind of make the transition from the 60s to the 70s. It has uh, everything you can get behind in a movie. Well, I've never endorsed anything, even in my own. But if a masterpiece comes along, people should see it. You know, I think that people that love movies would really like to see this one. Out of the Blue. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted.
3: Hey, folks, welcome to a special episode of the projection booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with John Allen Simon and Elizabeth Carr about their recent restoration of Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue. It is opening at the Metrograph in New York tomorrow, the 17th of November, 2021, and we'll be touring around after that. If you've got a local art house, be sure to ping them and let them know that you want to see Out of the Blue. Enjoy the interview. I'm very curious how you got together and and started to be a production team. Well, we're a couple. We're married. Elizabeth's an amazing actor,
1: and we met through her theater company here in Los Angeles that she was chairman of for a number of years called Classical Theater Lab. A director friend of mine, Ron Maxwell, who directed Little Darlings and Gettysburg and uh, Of Gods and Generals, had a script about Joan of Arc that I was helping him produce, never got made, unfortunately. But he did a stage reading of it, and Elizabeth and I met through that. He did it with her theater company. So that's how we met. And I said to Elizabeth at a certain point, hey, you're not making any money doing indie theater. Why don't you join me in indie film, where you can also not make any money?
0: Besides being an actor, I produced a lot of shows. Back when I lived in New York, I'm talking off- off-Broadway sorts of things. But then when I came to Los Angeles with Classical Theatre Lab and Pacific Resident Theatre and some other really wonderful theatre companies, I did produce some shows and always finished in the black. So I'm not making a lot of money, but I never really lost money. And John directed me in a couple of those productions, particularly two wonderful Oscar Wilde productions, A Woman of No Importance and An Ideal Husband And he was right. What I was doing in indie theater, I could be doing in film. And I had a great mentor with John. I had a great theater mentor, Rosemary Harris. And now my mentor became John Allen Simon, who's like a Swiss Army knife of, of producing. Besides being a wonderful writer and director, he knows the distribution and producing. So I became a producer on our Philip K. Dick adaptation that John wrote and directed, Radio Free Albemouth. And I think there were some things I did that I just didn't know any but better. And another time when we can go deeper into stories, I can tell you some of those, but because I didn't know you couldn't really do it, I just did it. And I think that kind of attitude is what you need sometime when you're producing, particularly at the indie level. But yeah, so here I am. And I've actually now spend more time behind the camera than in front of it. And I love it. It's kind of fun to help get the sausage made in a creative and, and beautiful way.
3: Now, I supported the Radio Free Al album Albumuth. That's, uh, I supported that on Kickstarter, and then I eventually found out about the Out of the Blue project, also from Kickstarter, from when you guys started that. How did you get involved in this restoration of Out of the Blue? I was a film critic in New Orleans,
1: and I met this older guy who had a TV show in which he came on in a very pompous way everyone i knew hated him and made fun of him he wore a powder blue tuxedo with a ruffled shirt and it was on an you know little scene indie television station at one night i was i was working for the newspaper down there and one night he called in he'd been bitten by a rat at a downtown movie theater so i met him and interviewed him about being bitten by the rat and we became friends and I found out he was like thirty years younger than anyone thought he was. He just was prematurely white, had all this energy. It had produced a movie in New Orleans with the director No Black, who'd done Pretty Poison that got shelved. And he had tried to distribute this Hammer film that with Peter Cushing that had been didn't get anywhere with everything he'd gotten involved with. It had turned to had turned. It was like Trump, Trump really in a way. Had died. Everything he touched had died. But he had this kind of obscure knowledge of these films that were sitting on the shelf. And one of them was The Wicker Man. So he and I got Warner Brothers to send us a print. They had tested it in drive in theaters. We had to do the re edit back to the director's cut. And it was a huge indie success. And he and I parted ways for reasons that now I sort of, he was a lovely guy, but he, you know, he tried to tried to do too much and didn't have any way really to support himself. So, you know, we were kind of hemorrhaging money that we had raised privately. And I went out and picked up this movie, The Rights, called Full Circle, which was from a Peter Straub novel, an amazing performance by Mia Farrow. We opened, I opened then New York. And Time Magazine ended up doing an article about me as this guy rescuing lost films. And I was deluged with all these unreleased movies that I dutifully watched. And one of them was out of the blue. I fell out of my chair at how amazing it was, laughing, just the dark humor of it. It's kind of my sense of dark humor. And uh, I got in touch with the warring filmmakers and financiers. They were warring because it had been done as a tax write-off movie because under Canadian rules back in the 80s, you could invest $10,000 in a movie if you're a doctor or a dentist and write off 50,000 on your taxes. It was very abusive, but it helped the film industry happen in Canada. And I met with Dennis and said, look, I'll take the movie out. You know, we really don't have any money. We're going to do this on a shoestring. You're going to have to be basically my partner in it. And uh, we did. And we we had this amazing limited success with it. But we couldn't get too many theaters to play it. Landmark theaters hated it. Even though we broke the house record at the Coolidge Corner Cinema in Boston, the, the bookers for Landmark wouldn't book it in the art house theaters they had. And so it played, you know, like a dozen small theaters, did really well, garnered an amazing reputation. Yeah, we ended up having the, the highest screen average playing New York the week we opened the movie kind of gained this cult reputation and influenced people who were still discovering who think it's a masterpiece. You know, one of the things we're doing for the disc release coming up after the theatrical release is I'm interviewing lots and lots of people. Cause I love doing that as a former journalist, I still do a lot of uh, interviews for the writer's guild and the British film Academy and uh, SAG foundation. And, uh, Yeah, just discovering all the fans of Out of the Blue, like Julian Schnabel, who was Dennis's friend, and Ethan Hawke, who loves the movie, and Scott Derrickson, who directed the big Marvel, Doctor Strange. And then Elizabeth discovered two people who really came on board the journey with us for the movie.
0: Natasha Leone and Chloe Sevigny are official presenters of the film. And how that came to be is driving home from a meeting on NPR, listening to Terry Gross, Fresh Air. Natasha Leone was talking about Russian Doll. And out of the blue, she starts talking about out of the blue – Dennis Hopper, man, what a director. Out of the blue, that film is extraordinary. Linda Manns, she's everything. Whoa, Dennis Hopper, that's what a director is. And thought, she's our people. How, how can we reach her? And fortune smiled on us. And the next week at a Netflix luncheon, we were invited to. Natasha was there, we introduced ourselves, told her what we were up to, that we wanted to restore the film and do a 40th anniversary theatrical re-release, and she said, how can I help? And so they came in with some financial support, Natasha brought in Chloe, and Chloe, as you probably know, is did Gamo, Harmony Corrine's film with Linda Manns. And in fact, Chloe, who's arguably maybe one of the biggest fashion icons we have, in her closet, of many, which is a many-splendored thing, is Linda Mann's jacket that she wore as CB and out of the blue with Elvis on the back. So Natasha and Chloe, they love this film. They love Linda Mann's. And they are an example of people who love the film and, and supported John and I on this journey to get it, you know, restored and, and re-seen and introduced to people who had never seen it before, as well as people who love the film, vaguely remember it, maybe have a gritty VHS copy of it. That's what fueled us.
3: I was going to ask as far as the elements of the film and how together they were and if there was challenges when it came to restoring it. But I imagine that the biggest challenge that you guys had was just COVID and that this was supposed to be the 40th anniversary. And here we are talking the 41st anniversary going on the 42nd. I mean, that must have been really difficult for you. Well, it depends how you count. It's, it's really the
1: 40th anniversary of the U.S. release because the movie sat on the shelf for two years, basically, after it had premiered at Cannes in 1980. The elements, you know, we were fortunate. In 2010, the Cinematheque Francaise wanted to do a retrospective of Dennis Hopper, and this movie has always been beloved in France. And they helped underwrite the 35 millimeter negative restoration of the movie, which I did at Technicolor. And we also had some foundation support from the Thompson Foundation, which was an adjunct of Technicolor. So we got the negative into very good shape and we struck two 35 millimeter prints that Dennis got to see when he went to Cinematheque Frances just before he got sick with prostate cancer and passed away. And we screened those prints. We kept the one in Europe at the Cinematheque and the other we, we kept here at uh, Technicolor and uh, screened at archives and a few festivals and museums, but were very judicious. And of course, as time went on and film became more and more a blacksmith and Technicolor got out of the 35 millimeter business altogether, we realized we needed to do a digital restoration And fortunately, one of my close friends is Robert Harris, and he had given us great advice on the 35 millimeter restoration. When I'd encounter some technical issue that I had to decide and wasn't sure of, he recommended us over to a terrific post facility here called uh, Roundabout Entertainment. Robert had done the restoration of Abel Gantz's Napoleon and of uh, Lawrence of Arabia and The Godfather and uh, My Fair Lady and Bridge on the River Kwai. So he's widely regarded as one of the world's foremost restoration experts. And Roundabout was great. They were restoring Apocalypse Now, which had you know this huge budget. And we would come in when they had free time. They were not that far from me. So I'd go in and work with their technicians on the restoration and on making the decisions that needed to be made. But the elements were in good shape. So it wasn't like one of those where things are turning to vinegar in the vault, been able to really get the thing in pretty good shape. And we worked from the original 35 millimeter negative and original mono soundtrack. And it's beautiful. I have to tell you, you know, as somebody who can be a little bit of a film snob in the 35 millimeter sense, this restoration, I see things in the movie visually that I've never seen before. There was this one part of the movie that A scene is black in it. And I remember watching with Dennis going, what is this? He goes, oh, yeah, the lighting just didn't work out. And, you know, it just can't see anything. Really, it's nothing. It looks like black, like the movie cuts to black. But in this restoration, it took days, but we were able to bring out some detail of what's in the black. And you see it. And it's that way in so many scenes. You can bring out so much, and you can go into part of the scene to bring out some detail that's lost other parts. And all during it, I really tried to channel Dennis. Dennis was a good friend. In fact, I just discovered 40 minute tape I'd done. I'd never listened to back in 1980. I think when we were going 1982, back when we were going up to visit Jack Nicholson for the radio spot that he did for us, you know, it's just Dennis and I talking. He turned it into like this very kind of fire sign theater (laughs) you know, surreal conversation, you know, in different voices. And it's just fun, just two guys having fun. He was an unbelievable fun person to hang out with, with the rare exception when substance abuse, when he would get, you know, over-cranked up and it would not be fun, he would get paranoid. But he was at a stage of his life when I met him when he was really trying to get sober and was mostly sober and mostly just one of the most smart, articulate, compassionate, empathetic people you could ever imagine. And he thought I should direct. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm a writer and I understand the editing room, but I just don't know anything about working with actors. And he said, I'll teach you what you need to know. And as we travel, he did teach me a lot about the process of actors and acting. And he was a master and out of the blue is a master class in acting acting. The performances, even people who don't like the movie have to admit, these are three of the greatest performances they've ever seen on film. And I don't think Dennis, I mean, to direct yourself in the kind of raw, brutal, revealing, self-lacerating kinds of performances that he gives is just astonishing to me and still is.
3: What are the next steps with the film? Where is it playing and where can people keep up with it?
0: Well, we open in New York. New York. On Wednesday, November 17th, which will be the premiere of the U.S. theatrical re-release. And we're very fortunate to have a two-week theatrical run at the Metrograph in New York City. Even as we speak right now, the film is opening in France. It's in cinemas, in theater. Potemkin Films is our releasing partner in France. And British Film Institute, BFI, is our U.K. partner. And they plan on doing a theatrical re-release in early 2022. All of these releases have been delayed only because of COVID and the pandemic closings. But John and I also plan on doing what he did with Dennis Hopper in the early 80s and playing other local cinemas. We've already had cinemas reach out to us. We're reaching out to them. We hope to play in at least 10, maybe even as much as 20 or 30 cinemas and art houses around the U.S. and in Canada. And then after the limited theatrical release, the film will be available on disc, Blu-ray, and DVD. And BFI is our U.K. partner. Severin Films is our disc partner for the U.S. and Canada. I'm so excited about the disc extras, which will be somewhere between, I think, six or eight hours. Because John and I tracked down all the people who are still with us that worked on Out of the Blue. And did you know that Doris Dick, one of the first female editors in Canada, was the editor of Out of the Blue? And there are all these other incredible women on the film crew. And John interviewed them all. So it's really great to hear their perspective of working with Dennis Hopper on this film. But also what it was like to be script supervisor, location person, production assistant, and editor, you know, in the 80s. As a woman, it was a different mindset so besides the people like john mentioned the ethan Hawke and richard linkletter and other people who are fans of the film and dennis but yeah we are excited about the theatrical release at the metrograph and hope as many people as possible are able to see it in a cinema because it is quite beautiful it really is as raw and as bleak as this movie is it's just beautiful almost every frame is almost like a photograph or, or a painting.
1: Well, Dennis was a great photographer. And I, I want to add a couple other things about the extras is that uh, Pointed Sticks, who are the punk band in the movie, have reformed and are performing. And I did a, a lengthy interview with with the original uh, bass guitar player and vocalist and songwriter. So it's it's just been really a great voyage of discovery. I've been able to use sort of my former talents, or at least skill set as an interviewer to reach out to so many people and learned a lot more about Dennis, talking to his very close friend, Julian Schnabel, great filmmaker and great artist, who who was very, very close to Dennis and Ethan Hawke, who was friends with Dennis and got to know him a little later in his life. So it's going to be kind of a portrait of Dennis, I hope, from different stages of his life. We talked with the woman who edited the Tashan Book of photographs that he did out of the '60s, and yeah, it's just going to be, I think, a great voyage of discovery for everyone who loves this movie. Checking out all the all the disc extras, I've I've spent way too much time on them. I probably I've done I think about well over twenty interviews with people for it and uh, recorded them. A lot of them on Zoom and with Philippe Marat, the terrific director who did Mad Dog Morgan, who I uh, produced a movie with. Quite a, quite a while ago that uh, I've actually never seen but <laughs> I've seen some of it uh, The Howling Part 2 I just helped put the deals together on it back when I was more on the business end than the uh, writing, producing, directing end but thank you for
3: supporting uh, Radio Free Album Well John and Elizabeth thank you so much for your time this was wonderful
0: oh, Our pleasure Mike we listen to your podcast you do a great job uh,
2: To the king is gone, but is not forgotten.